John chapter 20. We'll read there. Hold your place in John chapter 4. John chapter 20 and verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Uh, today we're not going to see a miracle, uh, not like what we saw water turn into wine, but we're going to see the miracle of the conversion of a dead dog sinner, such as you and I. And that truly was a, uh, a sign that was done in front of his disciples. We're going to read that today in John chapter 4. And knowing that as sinners, we can great delight, take great delight in the fact that if Jesus can save the filthiest among us, that surely salvation uh we know that christ that he died for a limited number but i don't know who that number is so if you think that you're the worst sinner that ever lived uh it may be that christ died for you i don't know but believing that jesus is the christ the son of god by the power of god if you believe that he died for your sins then yes you would be drawn as a child of god and i thank god that that uh, he has not set a stipulation uh, as what manner of men might be saved other than that of his choosing. Uh, we're going to backtrack in John chapter 3, just re- reading, reread a couple things that Jesus said to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, or born from above, born of God, uh, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 6, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So it is that everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a ruler or teacher of the Jews, and he said, we know you're a teacher come from God. So evidently the Spirit did not blow on those men of Nic- the company of Nicodemus. But we're going to see in the account of chapter 4 where the Spirit did blow, and it's of the most unlikely places. Continue reading in verse 13 of this chapter. And no man ascendeth up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So nobody, not even you Pharisees, can make yourselves worthy of the kingdom of God. No, it must come down from heaven. Okay, must come down. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There, see, there's a whosoever. Well, that whosoever is party to the wind blowing upon them and party to the new birth. One cannot born themselves again. It must be the work of God. We understand that. For God so loved the world, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever is born again that the Spirit blows upon them unto the new birth and borns them again, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, again, according to the new birth, the work of God, believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 27, we're doing a recap because it's very important as we go from the Jews to the Gentiles. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Okay? So he didn't say a Jew can receive nothing. He said a man. Okay? A sinner can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. 
Verse 32. And he that hath seen and heard that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. No sinner of himself can ascend up and receive his testimony. Okay? Verse 33. He that hath received his testimony, he who has been born again, he who God has come from above and given him things, he, that man, hath set to his seal that God is true. Verse 36, he that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. Who gave him life? God did. The new birth, born from above. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, or has not been born again. The Spirit has not blown upon them. They have not received things from heaven. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Now as we read through John chapter 4, we're going to see some very interesting things. Now remember, no doubt when Jesus said these things to Nicodemus, Nicodemus went straight back to the Jews and told him everything that he heard. Okay, no, I've, no, I've got no doubt about that because when we start in verse uh, chapter 4, we're going to see that the Pharisees have an eye on Jesus, what he's doing. Okay, they're, very, they're still very concerned about what he's doing. When therefore the Lord knew how, that the, how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made more made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed into Galilee. Okay? Jesus just said God so loved the world. Okay? So he's leaving Judea. He's leaving the Jews, and he's going to to preach to the Gentiles, particularly a, a Gentile woman. Okay? A Samaritan woman, a half-breed, you would say. And departed again to Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Okay? The gospel, as Jesus told Nicodemus, was not exclusive to life to the Jews, but the gospel must needs go to Samaria. Okay? That's some wonderful stuff. That's some wonderful stuff. It was the eternal purpose of God that he would set his affections and the sovereignty of his love and grace and mercy, that he would set that upon the Jews, or the Gentiles, rather, upon these half-breeds. So let's read through verse 6. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, Jesus was a man, Okay, so he did get tired. Set thus on the well. So think about this. Yes, Jesus being a man, he did get tired, but it was the eternal purpose of God when and where he would get tired. Okay? Weary not in well-doing. You know, that's what we could get from that. Our flesh might say stop, but we might need to keep going that the grace of God would, would abound. Okay? It's not depending on us, but... We sure ought to pretend like it is at times. I don't want to, I don't want that to sound bad. But don't let your flesh, which is sinful, tell you that you're too weak to do spiritual right. things. Amen. Okay? So he sat there, and it was about the sixth hour. What time is it? The sixth hour. Twelve. High noon. Okay? High noon. In the previous account, this Jew, this teacher of the Pharisees, this man who knew the law forwards and backwards, he sought the Lord. In the middle of the night, saw him by night, didn't he? This Gentile is going to have experience with the Lord Jesus Christ in broad daylight for everybody to see. Anybody who was there or around could have seen this interaction. 
Praise God Almighty. That the fame of the Lord, conversions, and baptism was being tracked by the Pharisees, the elite Jews of the day. So when Jesus heads towards Samaria, he did this openly. He did it openly, and at noon, it was noted where he sat and who he talked to. When Jesus heads towards Samaria, he did this openly. And if you contrast that with what was going on uh, with Nicodemus, they were both the Lord, they were both uh, the sheep of the Lord's pasture, weren't they? We know that Nicodemus later would be converted as being a child of God, John chapter 19. So we can take great comfort in that while each one of our salvation experiences isn't exactly the same, each one of us in hearing the gospel were made new creatures by the power of God, right? We could each tell the salvation account of, our, of how the Lord saved us. Some of us were saved as, as complete reprobates in the daytime like this woman, and some of us might have had a little bit of religious background and were, were, uh, were not saved in, in the same way, but we were all saved by the power of God. It must have come down from below, from above, that is, from above. Nicodemus and this woman, the precious children and the beloved of God, beloved of God neither were better than one, one or the other. Okay? Nicodemus wasn't better than this woman. She was an, he was an unsaved person needing the grace of God. This woman wasn't worse. She was an unsaved person needing the grace of God. But how's this? Christ, being the ultimate evangelist, gave the gospel to both. Okay? That ought to pierce us as the children of God. If we're to follow His manner then it ought to pierce us that we would talk to even a man who might be a pastor of some rotten assembly down the road that we would still give them the gospel. And it ought to grieve us that when we see that man that, oh man, you know, what a low person, that that person also needs the gospel. It ought to, it ought to in the spirit of Christ, we ought to have affection towards sinners. Again, he knew who would believe and who wouldn't. He knew when he says he must needs go through Samaria, by his foreordination, he knew this woman and the people that would believe later on. He knew that. I don't know that. But we must needs go. Okay? We must needs go. For us to fully understand the, the weight of Christ going to Samaria, we must understand some historical background of what Samaria is. Samaria was a region... But it was also the capital city of the Old Testament northern kingdom. Remember in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 12 when Rehoboam, when he worked the people too hard and there was a split in the kingdom, one people followed Jeroboam and they, they uh, started the northern kingdom there and Rehoboam stayed in, in Judah uh, at Jerusalem and he was the king of the, the southern kingdom there. Well, after that, they, they, the people of the northern kingdom and the capital city, again, was Samaria. They intermarried with several nations, okay? And that was done after, if you remember, the old Assyrian king. We studied about Assyria when we went through uh, Jonah and Nahum. The old Assyrian king, Esarhaddon. So if you look in Second Kings to give us some perspective of how low that the children of Israel thought of the people of Samaria, we have to understand that, okay? We just do. We, uh, 2 Kings chapter 17 Look here, 2 Kings chapter 17, and begin reading in verse 24, okay? And the king of Assyria, who is Esarhaddon, brought men from Babylon, and from Kutha, and from Ava, and from Hamath, and from Sepharvain, and placed them in the cities of Samaria. 
instead of the children of Israel, and they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. So the capital and the region round about, they were in Samaria. Okay, hold your place right where you are, 2 Kings chapter 17. Turn over to the book of, uh, of Ezra. Okay, we studied this one. Ezra chapter, uh, find Chronicles, Ezra's right behind Chronicles. Ezra chapter 4, okay? The Jews really did have a distaste for these people, and we're going to read why. Second, uh, excuse me, uh, Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard, this is after uh, some of the, the people had come out of captivity and they were allowed to come back and start rebuilding the temple. Ezra chapter 4. They were allowed to start coming back and rebuild. Okay, Heard that the children of the captivity built the temple of the, unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel, who was the governor, okay, and to the chief of the fathers, and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Aser, or Assyria, which brought us up hither. So why is that important? Well, they did worship a version of who they thought was God. But if we continue our reading, if you put your eyeballs on it, 2 Kings chapter 17, these people that were brought by Esarhaddon into, uh, into Samaria, read about them. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Neither the, ne, therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore, the, they spake unto the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed into the cities of Samaria know not the manner of God of the land. Therefore, he hath sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land." Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence. Well, see, yeah, they're bringing the things of God. Well, no. If you remember the history of the northern kingdom, they put vile men as their priests. Rather than following the priesthood that the Lord had made under the Mosaic law, they put vile men in places and they worshiped their own selves and their own gods. So whenever they brought these priests that were there before, they're not bringing godly men. They're bringing uh, perverted men who are teaching pervert, other perverted men how to worship various gods and get away with it. And let them go and dwell there and let them, him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Again, they were not appropriate for that office. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria, one of the sons of Belial, came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how that they should fear the Lord. Again, it was done in error, okay? Howbeit every nation made gods of their own, and put them in the houses of the high places, which the Samaritans had made in every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Succubenoth, and the men of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashimah, and the Avites made Nabazak and Tartak and the Sephirvites burnt their children in a fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sephirvain. Does that sound like godly worship, that they're learning how to fear the Lord? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, they feared the Lord, it says, verse 32. So they feared the Lord, but they're fearing the Lord by worshiping false gods and burning their children. Yeah. And made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed, sacrificed, for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord, 
and serve their own gods. That sounds like a lot of religion today, doesn't it? Fearing God and serving their own gods. After the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after the ordinances or after the law of the commandment, which the Lord commanded them, uh, the children of Israel, whom he named Israel, uh, uh, whom he named Israel. So why do we bring all that stuff up? Because the Sumerians were continuing in that stuff. They were vile. They were perverted. They had no knowledge. I mean, we're going to read in the account that she says that Messiah, the Christ, must come. So she had a knowledge that he must come, but it was in a perverted way. Okay, it was in an awful way. She says in Luke chapter 4 and John chapter 4, verse 20, she's going to say to him, Our fathers worship in the mountain or Gerizim. Okay? They continue to worship that vile stuff, even from the days of S.R. Hadon. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So they were continuing this vile stuff. The Samaritans were despised of the Jews. And, and Zerubbabel was right to not allow them place in rebuilding of the temple. Yet, okay, yet in this passage, we'll see that though she was totally depraved, the Lord Jesus unconditionally draws her into salvation. Through a, and it was limited only to those of his choosing, her and some of the city. And those that are elect unto salvation came irresistibly by the grace of God, and they were given eternal life. You have there the five points of grace in this passage, verses one through forty-two. We're gonna we're gonna read them all, but we're gonna go at a at a run. Okay, we're not gonna spend much time on every verse, but you're gonna see this. But if you were to step back, here's what I want you to hear. In our opening verse in John chapter twenty, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's not just the Christ, the Son of God to the Jews, but he's the Christ to the Son of God. Uh, just period, and he's the savior of all his people, Jew or Gentile, religious elite, or the lowest of the low. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's wonderful. That's that's beautiful. That's wonderful news. Look at verse 7. We read through verse 6. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Who initiated contact? What in the world does a sinful woman want to do with Jesus? She has no idea. She's heard of Christ, but what does she want to do with Jesus? Okay? Sinners hear about Christ, but they don't want, and they want a fire escape. They really do. But what do they want with Jesus? They don't want anything to do with him. There's a, I was in a, and I shouldn't have tangled myself in it. I was in a, a, a conversation on Facebook. There was a man who pastors a, a landmark Baptist church, and he was arguing about the free will, the necessity of the free will of man unto salvation. Slap your forehead for me. Men or women, boys or girls, do not make first contact with Christ. What's your memory verse? Philippians 1, 6. Being confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it. Right? She didn't perform a good work unto him. He performed a good work unto her. And he initiates contact, as we read in John 1, John 2, and John 3, it must come from above. Contact must come from above. Salvation must be initiated by God. 
Okay? And the disciples, they were sent away. Look at verse 8. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Sometimes we think we know what's best. I know, sometimes I think I know what's best, and you do too. How that God should save this person. Oh, they're my son. They're my daughter. He needs to save them. Well, that's just the neighbor. I don't care if he saves them or not. Right? We know what's best. Who can relate? I can relate. You know, I don't think I need to talk to that person. You know, but this person, they, they need to be saved. The, the disciples, look at chapter 4, verse 27. We're going to kind of look at this a little bit out of order so we get what's going on. Chapter 4, verse 27. After he talked to the woman, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Why are you talking to a Samaritan? Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? They, kept, they, they had the wisdom to keep their mouths shut. That he was the Christ, is the Christ, the Son of God. But maybe, well, like the Jews, you know, Nicodemus, he thought that salvation was of the Jews. Like the Pharisees, or even like the disciples, maybe we look on others as if they were not worthy of the gospel, not worthy of salvation. Sometimes we do that. They're not worthy of the company of the Lord. Lord, what are you doing talking to that person? How can you have a relationship with the person? That's such a sinner, you see? You see their attitudes? How dare I have such an attitude? What kind of monster would I be to say that a person does not, would not be in need and would not benefit from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, the Lord's going to save or He's not going to save. That's not my business. My business is to broadcast the gospel. But thanks to God, He's no respecter of persons. He can, he can save that religious elite who thinks he's already somebody, and he can thank this lady, he could save this lady, rather, who's going out in the daytime and she's exposed. And we're going to learn a little bit about her, how that she's not really a savory character at all. But God, it's God's business who he saves. Right. He does this toward the end. And then toward the end of this message, we're going to see the hard lesson that the disciples are going to learn. Okay, So verse, four, verse 10, we read through verse 9. No, we, we didn't. Let's read verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest me, drink of me? Now, I thought you Jews, that you've hated us since, well, since the break of the kingdom, but you really hated us after the days of S.R. Hadon, when you wouldn't let us help you rebuild the temple, and you think we're a bunch of dogs. What are you doing even talking to me? You're a man, I'm a woman. This is, that, that's the time of, you know, that, that no one is supposed to do that stuff. It is broad daylight, man. Why are you asking me? any of this stuff, which am a woman of Samaria. You're a man. I'm a woman of Samaria. But the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You know, it's possible that sometimes that when you present the gospel that somebody thinks, oh, you think you're better than me. You're one of those elect. Yep. You think you're better than me. We need to rem remember Romans chapter 3. Are we better than they? No. We're saved by grace. We're dogs saved by grace, just like anybody else would be saved. But that woman, she, she was already on edge. You know, she really was. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. Notice that's a gift. You don't accept or reject a gift. You receive a gift. Okay? It's not that, as people say, that $20 bill you can take or to leave it. No, if, if life comes from above... By the power of God, you've got no option to accept or reject. It's upon you. It is yours. 
Then Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Again, people want nothing to do with Jesus or his living water. They want a fire escape. Okay, They don't want... They don't want repentance of their sins. That's why they go back to their sins. Okay, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. Well, you say you can give me water. We're in the desert, and you're sitting on a well, and all you got's you. How are you going to get water out of this well? Again, not Nicodemus was thinking in the flesh. She's thinking in the flesh, and there's going to be something. Just pay attention. Here, lock your mind in. See if you catch it. The woman said to her, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, then the well is deep. From whence then hast thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Not just the water of that well, but H2O. Okay, He's differentiating flesh and spirit. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. That is a loaded, if you got a pen, put a star next to that verse. That is a loaded verse, okay? That is a loaded verse. And I hope you caught what Jesus just said. Praise God. <laughs> when she said, when she's talking about water, what the, the men draw, you know, you, how, how are you going to draw the water? I come out to draw the water. Men draw the water. Jacob drew the water. And they're thirsty again. I got to come out every day or ever so often and keep drawing water. She's talking about works. She's talking about religion and ceremony. She's talking about emptiness. She's talking about never being satisfied. She's talking about ultimately death. If I don't drink, I'm going to die. All these things leave a man thirsty. But look what Jesus says, and he says it twice in this verse. He says, I shall give him. Okay? Didn't Christ come from heaven? Didn't he come from above? Isn't he the son of God? That A sins and D sins? Again, if you have a pen, both times he says, I shall give, underline it. Underline it, I shall give him, I shall give him. What does what to who? Who does who to what? Who approaches who? It is God that gives life. It is Christ that gives the new birth through the work of the Spirit based on what he did, based on the Father's choosing. She wants to know what she needs to do, just like Nicodemus wanted to know, how can I go back to Mama? He's saying it's a work of God. I will give life. And it's not just life for a day until you need water again tomorrow. It's everlasting life. Why? Because the giver is everlasting. You see? The well of the giver is everlasting because he's everlasting. And his water is spiritual. That's wonderful. That's wonderful news. Who, As we read this, Who reveals themselves to who? And who exposes the other? When Jesus, just like what we read about Joseph the other day, he was a picture, Joseph revealed himself and he exposed his brothers for who and what they were and he gave them life. He said, God sent me to bring you life. 
Jesus reveals himself, he exposes her, and he gives her life. All she did was stand there exposed and guilty, and he gave her everlasting life by giving her that living water. That's, that's amazing stuff. Praise God, the work of God and salvation, right there, as plain as it could be. These are spiritual things. Verse 15, the woman, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. Sir, I can't get it. If you've got it and I can't get it, I need it. Give me this water, sir, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Sir, you're speaking about things that are beyond my flesh. I need things that are spiritual, not physical. We're going to read in just a few minutes that those that worship God must do it in spirit and in truth. And she, he's going to put it all together for her in her salvation experience. She's desiring those things. 15, verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. Now look at this. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. Oh, this is, forgive the speech, she got around. She was not a woman that was exclusive to any man. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou hast true, said truly. Hadst thou truly. In that saidst thou truly. Let me get it right. So what she's saying, not only is she a Samaritan, but she's even a low-level Samaritan, okay, of poor reputation, of poor means, and broad daylight exposed into the Son of the living God. Man. The woman saith, look, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Okay? So he says... He says what God gives. He talks about living water. He talks about everlasting life. He, and he, talks, he, he exposes her and her sinfulness. But I want you to see something. That knowing that Jesus is a prophet and a teacher, she knows he's a prophet here. Uh, Nicodemus knew that he was a teacher in John chapter 3, verse 2. Knowing that won't save you. Okay, Knowing that will not save you. Having your sinfulness exposed by the Word of God will not save you. There are many that are condemned by the Word of God, and that's why they despise it at every turn. You know, people don't hate preachings of Santa Claus and Easter bunnies, and they know good and well that that stuff's fake, you know? You preach to them a God that they answer to, and they hate it. An atheist doesn't care about Santa Claus, and they'll, they'll, they'll celebrate Christmas. But you talk to, talk to them about justification and repentance, and holiness, boy, they'll get mad at you like that. Desiring living water won't save you. In verse 15, she says, give me the water. Everybody wants salvation. They want to escape from the judgment of God. Nobody wants hell. This woman, she's in a spot. Verse 19. The woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. We reiterate that. Because we're coming on a question of worship. She, she's, it's still in the flesh. She wants to go to ceremony. Okay? Oh, yeah, he must be a safe person. He goes to church three times a week. So? There's lots of people that stand behind pulpits and preach the Word of God. They're lost as Hogan's goat. You know, they're just unsaved. They're not, they're not saved. Going to church three times a week doesn't save you. Whatever religious thing you do, you know, listen to the sermons all day long on the Internet, that doesn't save you. It doesn't. 
our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And they sure did, man. Remember what we read in, in uh, 2 Kings? Those men, they worshipped God. Oh, they feared God so much that they burned their kids to false gods. Our, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me. Don't, don't hear me. Don't know what I'm saying. Believe. And I, I want you to take that as a command. Okay? Jesus commands her to believe. And when Jesus commands a person to believe, they believe. That's how save, salvation works. It's God commanding the sinner to repent and trust in Christ, being drawn to Jesus Christ by the will of God the Father, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That command will not be refused. Name one command when God says that, that, his, that he'll do all his good pleasure, when he commands her to do that, how can she not, right? He commanded her. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither work in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. What in the world does that mean? Well, as we continue through verse 26, you'll see what it means. You worship, you know not what. You know, you're just, you cast in prayers and words to the wind. You know what we worship for salvation as other Jews. Does that mean that, that is Christ saying that Jews only knew about salvation? No, but it is a fact that God himself presented himself to the Jewish people with the word of God, the Mosaic law. Okay? He didn't do that to any other nation. He didn't. He gave it to the Jews. Okay? And that's just a fact. But the hour cometh, and now is. How could it be is? When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So you must be born again and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So second time, spirit and in truth. Okay? The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. He didn't say must worship in head knowledge and repeating what you've heard, which is called Christ. When he has come, he shall tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Oh, whammo. We're not talking about what I heard and what I, what I think and, and what somebody told me. Jesus exposes himself. He reveals himself unto the sinner. He reveals spirit and truth to her. Okay, The question about worship, both the Samaritans and the Jews had made shrines out of their worship centers. You know, the Jews thought more highly of the temple than they thought of the God of the temple, didn't they? They really did. Jesus, not suggesting but commanding her to believe, said unto both those systems of worship that they would be disrupted or reformed. They would be overthrown. When this disruption or reformation of worship comes, it will come in the form of spirit and in truth. And that, I believe, Jesus is, right after he's talking to her about salvation, he introduces the idea of his New Testament church to her. He really does. God being a spirit can only be worshipped in spirit. We saw that the new birth came from the spirit in John chapter 3, didn't we? That's no new thing. And Jesus actually rebuked Nicodemus, how could you be a teacher and not know these things? But worshipping in truth, okay, that's done so in the Lord's assembly. 
When Jesus says the hour is come and now is, he's talking about his, his church that he has established on this earth. You can worship on your back porch. Okay. After services are over, we can go over to the house there, the family and I, and we can say, praise the Lord. He's a wonderful Savior. And as a family, we worship. That's right. But that's not worshiping in the context of what Jesus no. says. Okay. That's not worshiping like Jesus says. The Lord Jesus Christ set up his church to be the exclusive institution whereby one must worship fully in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 6, or John chapter 3 again, look back what John said concerning baptism. John chapter 3, verse 26. He says, John chapter 3, verse 26, And they came to, unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth all, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. So that includes salvation. That includes authority to baptize. Okay? So when Jesus in chapter 4 says he didn't baptize himself, but his disciples did, they did so under the authority of God because they had John's baptism. He says in verse 28, Ye, ye, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride. So we're talking about baptism. Okay, he that hath the bride is the, is the bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom. The, the, the church is the prospective bride. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly. Rejoiceth greatly. Because the bridegroom's voice, this, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. What's his joy? That these materials were being supplied. That those that would worship, the time now is, would worship in spirit and in truth, under the authority of God, that God had given him through given John to baptize and uh, and to uh, create the material there. Though we know God saved, but to baptize the material there for the Lord's first assembly. Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus says in verse eighteen, "Upon this rock I will build my church." Okay, that's not a universal, invisible thing, but that system. Where the time uh, comes and now is that men will worship in spirit and truth. That's what he's talking about. The Lord's assembly. Uh, in 1 Timothy, if you look, we'll look one more passage here to really nail this down in case anybody was wondering. I think we're all settled on this, but it's still good to look. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15, uh, excuse me, 14 and 15. These things, this is Paul writing to Timothy. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou may, mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church or the assembly of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the what? Say it out loud, everybody. Truth. truth. Okay. So if the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth made up of spiritually born-again people, if you're going to worship in spirit and in truth, you're going to do it in the Lord's assembly. Amen. has to be that way. Okay. So, moving on. The church executes this pure worship in spirit and truth. So, we, don't, we, we need to endeavor. When we come to this place, we don't just come in and plop down, or I come up here and just start waving my arms around and say, all right, where's spirit and truth? No, our hearts need to be about the business of spirit and truth. He also states knowledge, she also states knowledge about Messiah, didn't she? We know that Messiah that is known in Christ must come and he'll tell us all things. Such knowledge didn't save her. 
She knew a lot for a rich and Samaritan woman that was unsaved, didn't she? And there's a lot of people that know a lot of Scripture. Well, goodness, Satan knows a lot of Scripture. In this, Christ tells her that he is the Christ. He said, I am he. Well, how does he say it? I that speak unto thee am he, that he is italicized. I am the great I am. You see it there. In this, Christ gave her to drink. He really did. This, the religious elite, when Christ declared himself to be the Christ, they would hate him, despise him, crucify them in their anger. Look at Matthew, if you would, please. Oh, they raged, these people that knew the scriptures so well. In Matthew chapter 26, you know, I've rent my clothes exactly one time in anger. And they did, these people did this all the time, evidently. In Matthew chapter 12, I would hate to be their seamstress, you know, or seamster, whatever they call for a man. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 63. But Jesus held his peace. <clears throat> chapter 26 and verse 63. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure you by the living God. Imagine talking to the living God and saying, I adjure you by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Well, that's the question at hand, isn't it? Did you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, or he says, Yes. Yeah. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Well, when he told such things unto the Samaritan woman, that dog, you know, that lady that worshipped in Gerizim, she wondered. She was amazed. She said, Is it, could this be the Christ? We'll read that. But look at verse 65. Then the high priest, not just a priest, the high priest, rent his clothes saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What thank ye? So the high priest asked the people. They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Put him away. This man shall not rule over me. Yeah, religious won't save you. Sure won't. But this woman, this nobody. You ever think about that, the woman of the well? Why do you call her the woman of the well? Because you don't know her name. She's a nobody. She's a, she's a child of God. God knew her name. Christ knew her name, and he knew exactly where to find her. The Lord was pleased to save himself, save to himself dogs, even Gentiles for his own good pleasure. That's it's wonderful. If you're a sinner here, I want you to hear that above all else, that Christ can save the vilest of sinners Amen. based on his own good pleasure. Verse 27, we read it already. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Well, now we understand better why they marveled, because to them she was just a filthy woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Don't forget these disciples at the at this point. They came back. They came back with food, and they they to the wondrous scene, talking to this Samaritan woman. Verse twenty eight. The woman then left her water. Okay, we're gonna try, so try to get the details. You have Jesus and the woman at the well. The woman left her water. See it in verse twenty eight. The woman left her water pot. She left her business. Whatever she was doing. She stopped it and now became a testifier of the grace of God. Okay, And that should be a symbol. We could spend a whole message right there. That should be a symbol of how all of us live our lives. When the Lord saved us, whatever life we were living, 
is now something else. Our duty is to tell others of the sovereign grace of God. That's exactly what she did. That's all. That, if, that, if all she knew was that Christ had told her what she was and who he is and saved her, boy, that's a testimony. You don't have to be an elite testifier to tell people what Christ has done for you. The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Boy, she was convinced, wasn't she? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Well, they were dumb enough to believe him. I say dumb enough. That's the power of God. You know, this woman, new convert, less than half an hour probably, (laughs) makes her way back to the city and tells a whole bunch of people, and by the power of God, they came back. Now think about it. Well, Jesus, his disciples, they went away, she went away, and now they're coming to him. Okay, I don't know how far it was, but it was away. Okay, so verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So they're now by themselves. Lord, eat. You've been all day. We went away for food. Eat now. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. We, we were reading for, through a, as a family several years ago, and, and I told the kids that he had special spiritual secret cookies, you know, that, that he was fed not of the flesh. He was, he, it was a spiritual issue that he's talking about this meat, okay? His sustenance is spiritual. Therefore said the disciples one to another, how hath any man brought him ought to eat? They were asking in the flesh. Go back to that. As we go back in John, there's so many times where Jesus is teaching spiritual things and even the disciples themselves can't grasp it. Okay? The spiritual aspect of what's going on. Okay? It's, we're not talking about bread and oats and, and, and venison. We're talking about spiritual things. Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. So if Jesus, the Most High God, the Son of God, the Christ, if His meat or His sustenance was to do the will of the Father, and He saved us from our sins, Lex, as a living sacrifice, wouldn't it be well that our meat would be to do the will of God also? That would be right. That would be right. And Jesus tells the disciples that very thing. And to finish His work. Oh boy, you could read right past that, underline that too. When Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, and he said it's finished, he meant just that. He finished the work of salvation. There's no more to do, okay? It's not you'll be saved if only you'll do this or you'll do that or whatever or whatever. It's the work of God, and Christ finished the work that the Father sent him to do. Praise God. That is so easy to read past. That's how John is. It's so easy to read past that. Jesus said... My meat is to do the will of God and to finish it, to finish what he sent me to do. Say not ye that there are four months and then cometh the harvest. You're talking about food? Let me tell you about some fleshly things. He says, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Again, Jesus, well, disciples, woman went away, the city people of the city coming back. Jesus literally says, lift up your eyes 
the field is white for harvest. Okay, you could in your mind, you should be able to see Jesus pointing to the people that were coming to hear of Christ. And in your spiritual mind, you should hear the words of Christ and see the finger of Christ and pointing to you and saying to you, look up. The fields are white for harvest. If you're still on this earth, that means the rapture hasn't happened yet. And the fields are still white for harvest. Right? Lift up. Do the will of God. The fields are white. Look, he says, and he that repeateth, uh, he that reapeth, receiveth wages. Well, he tells them the harvest is there. If we're to be the reapers of the harvest in the gospel, there's going to be reward. Jesus is preaching reward for servitude here. And gathereth fruit unto eternal life. Rewards, there's rewards. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Well, in this account, if Jesus is pointing to the people of that Samaritan city, Samaritan, Samaritan city, he's pointing to them people as the harvest who sowed. God did. It's the work of God. God saves people, but through the foolishness of preaching or delivering the gospel, souls are saved. But can you imagine this? Think about this, that God has permitted that sinners such as ourselves, that we would have an opportunity to rejoice with Him in the work that He does and has sent us to preach the gospel. Amen. Just like old John would rejoice at the bride and his bridegroom, or her bridegroom, the bridegroom and his bride. Rejoicing! We're not just going to be there. Our job as reapers, He'll give us space to have wages unto eternal life and have rejoicing in His presence. That's wonderful stuff. That's wonderful. The will of God. If you continue reading in verse 36, this is I just 36 through 38. We read 36. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap. Okay. So let's get who does what. Jesus says again, the sowing. This is a different parable than the different saying than the parable of the sower. So don't let that confuse you. It's God that does the work of salvation. He says, I sent you to reap. I sent you to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ that at the power of God, souls will be saved. I sent you to reap. He sent us to reap. That's why he saved your soul, to reap. Okay. And if you're, thank God, if you're in uh, the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth, you have opportunity that others don't have to reap with rejoicing. I see you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. What? No labor? It's labor to preach the gospel. Get, that, get this straight in your head. The labor and the work is a labor and work of God and the salvation. Amen, okay? Amen. Ours is no labor. Ours is a, is a joy. It is. Right? right? It should be a joy. But we're reaping where we do no labor. God does the work. Other men labor. And ye are entered into their labor. Somebody else did the work. Now you just go in and reap. You just go in and testify the things of God. It's wonderful. Again, as the church of the living God, we're, we uh, have a specific uh, privilege 
in wages and fruit. Not works for salvation, but again, reward. Dirtbag sinner, saved by grace, the Lord will be pleased to rejoice with us in the work that he has called us to do, and he accomplishes and completed all by himself. Again, he said that in verse 34, that he would finish the work, right? It's his work. Quite a deal. It's quite a deal. Verse 39, and we're going to hurry here. We're almost 39 through 42 is as far as we're going to come. And many, look at this, and many that the fields that were white and that were coming to harvest, and many of the Samaritans, were all the, all the Samaritans, did they come? No. Here's the limited atonement. Okay, if you've been keeping track, here it is. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. So although the disciples hadn't quite grasped yet that they were to reap, this woman didn't have to be told, did she? She immediately went and said, Hey, is not this the Christ? And sight unseen, these people said, Yeah, I believe he is. Let's go check him out. Let's go see. Many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that I ever did. She didn't have a real deep theology, did she? Well, guess what, child of God? If you know that Jesus saved you from your sins and he is the Christ, the Son of God, you've got a pretty deep theology. This woman didn't know much more than that, other than she was a sinner and she was given life by the Christ himself. She said, I, he said, I uh, am he, basically, I am. She knew that much. So look at this. This is amazing stuff. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, how did they come to him? They were drawn by God. Not all of them, but it says many of them. Uh, the Samaritans were come unto him. They besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, you know, if somebody believes because I tell them, they're, they're as unsaved as they can be. They say, for we have heard him ourselves. Again, go back to Jonah chapter 3. When, jo- when Jonah said, yet 40 days and then it will be overthrown. Then the people believed God. Okay? Have I had the audible voice of Jesus talking to me? No. Have I had salvation and, and, and faith and regeneration that I believe the Word of God and the testimony of the Word of God? Absolutely. That's the power of God. Okay, For we have heard Him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. Not the Savior of the Jews. The Savior of the world. Save some of all kinds. He saves that which is lost. They believed on him by the power of God through the testimony of a sinner saved by grace. And that has not changed. That's how people were saved. By the power of God through the testimony of a, of a sinner saved by grace. Believers, like in John 1, it says in this passage that once uh, they came to him, they, they said, hey, you stay with us, right? And he abode there two days. He dwelt with them two days. Believers, when they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they want to dwell with Him. They don't want to go back to the old way and do all kinds of crooked and evil and sinful stuff. They want to dwell with God. They want to dwell with the Lord of their salvation. 
I'm troubled by people who say they're saved and they like and they have no desire to dwell with the Lord of their salvation. That troubles me. They say we believe not because you told us, not because of the ministry, but because we heard him ourselves because he revealed himself unto us. This is the Christ. We believe that this is the Christ, the prophet, the priest, the king, the sacrifice. That one that took the place of his people for the cause of their sin and for the love of God. We believe he's the Christ. I think of my own salvation when I, when I read this. You know, when they said that we believe not because of what you said, but because we believe God. Mm-hmm. There are many people over the course of my life that preach the gospel both in a congregational sense and personally sat down kneecap to kneecap and declared the gospel. But one day I didn't hear a man. One day the Lord saved me from my sins and I believe God. Right. This is how these men, all men, are saved. That's right. What a wonderful thing. Child of God, thank God that Christ reveals himself to the lowest of sinners, even ourselves who are lower than this dog Samaritan who her people worshiped in Gerizim, burning their children in the fire. We should take great care to broadcast the gospel of Christ to all without distinction. Again, that's something that the disciples should have learned. It marveled them that he talked to this woman. It should be no marvel to us that Jesus Christ would die for any sinner. You point to any sinner, it should be no marvel to us that Christ could and would die, based on his own good pleasure, die for any sinner. We're to have our meat like Christ had his meat to do the will of him that sent him, but also saved us and sent us. Didn't he tell us? Sister Chelsea's going to be studying for the conference the urgency of our personal witness. Didn't he tell us, the church that has gone to this day, go ye? He has told us to do the bidding of the Father. It should be our meat to do the will of God who saved us. If we would only lift up our eyes and see the urgency of the field that is white for the harvest, much more knowing that the day is approaching, we would be ready to run. You know, we studied in, uh, in the Song of Solomon how that the woman ran after her man. He drew her and, and she ran. We ought to be running with our work boots on every day under the field, under the harvest. Remember, he sent us to reap. We read that. Look at verse 38. And if I didn't tell you to underline this, I want you to underline this. Verse 38, I sent you to reap. That's you, Logan. That's you, Lex. That's you, Brooke. That's you, Hallie. That's you, Debbie. That's you, Gary. That's you, every member of this assembly. Every member. Christ says to you, I sent you to reap. He does the work of salvation. He sent you to reap. Sinner, this is a message full of good news. It ought to, it is just such good. There's no sinner that's so sinful that the Lord can't save you. I don't, I don't care what you've done. I mean, Paul, he wreaked havoc on the church and he killed the people of God. You're not worse than that. Paul said that he was the chief of sinners and everybody else came after him, meaning like he's first place sinner and everybody else would come after him in rank and order as far as sinners go. There's no sinner so sinful that by the power of God that Christ could not save them from their sins. 
these people were immersed in idolatry. Their history as a people was such that they loved false gods. They thought they were worshiping God. They were obstructionists to the work of God. And they were a destructive nuisance to the Jews and the people of God for centuries. Yet Jesus loved one of them and many more that came out of that city. They were despised and hated. They were dogs. There's no man of the Jews that comes to talk to me, a woman of Samaria. But Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He must. He must accomplish the work. He must finish the work and the will of him that sent him. Some of these people were elect of God unto salvation, and some of them were many came, many didn't. That's none of my business. That's none of that woman's business. She might have told as many people as she could and then word got around, but no doubt there was people that heard, hey, I found the Christ, and they just kept on. That happens. But by the power of God, these many came unto salvation, believing the Christ by the power of God. Her question, again, comes to us when she went to the people. She says in verse 29, Is not this the Christ? I tell you, with full faith and assurance in the word of God, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And this is said that you would believe by the power of God. You would believe, and believing you'd have eternal life through His name. That's what John says. Okay? That you would drink of this living water unto eternal life. And guess what? Another memory verse. The Spirit and the Bride. Who's the Bride? The prospective Bride the Lord's Church. Say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is what? A thirst. And let a thirst come. And whosoever will, whosoever is born again of God, having a thirst for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, let him drink the water of life freely. What a wondrous occasion that God Almighty can make a dead sinner thirsty for Jesus Christ and bring life unto that sinner. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.